Father, we do pray that you'd speak your words today into our hearts and change our lives. We pray, Lord, that there would be a real sense of your calling and your kind of recalling today. We pray for a time when we hear your word that faith and courage rise up in our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was this guy. He was actually a Russian spy. And he went under the alias of Joe Smith. He was arrested by an American official by the name of Agent Perry and brought into the interrogation room. Smith says, I don't understand why I'm being interrogated. Agent Perry says, drop the act, Smith, even if that is your real name. We know it isn't. We know you're a foreign spy. Smith, what? No, I'm a real American. I can name all 46 presidents of the United States in order with the dates of their inaugurations and their vice presidents. Perry, we still know you're a spy. No, you're wrong. You're all wrong. I can name all 50 states, U.S. territories, and their capitals. We still know you're a spy. Wait, I know every word of the National Anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. We still know you're a spy. Smith said, okay, I submit. I am a Russian spy, but how in the world did you find out? Perry, because Americans don't know any of those things. (laughs) That's one of those ha-ha, ouch. Well, today we're going to take a look at some spies in the Bible. In fact, there are 12 of them, 12 spies. But before we do that, let's just review a little bit and kind of make sure we see where we are in God's grand story. We've been doing this series entitled God's Grand Story on really trying to get a good overview of the Bible. We're focusing right now on the Old Testament. Remember, so far we divided the Old Testament into six parts. We have beginnings, which book of Genesis, then we have wilderness wanderings, which really is going to cover like the next four books of the Bible. Then we have the promised land, and it's going to be Joshua leading in people of Israel into the promised land. And then we have a united kingdom, which is under King David. And then we have a divided kingdom after King Solomon passes. And then we have the sixth part, which is the time of captivity of Israel, particularly focused in Babylon, and then the coming kingdom, the kingdom yet to come. And that really is the Old Testament. Right now, our focus is on part two, the wilderness wanderings. By the way, if you've missed any of these messages, you can go on to gracearlington.com and catch up with us. This is all, of course, free for you to access those. Now, remember that the story that begins in the Bible with Adam and Eve has an appointed end. History is going somewhere. God appointed his goal of where history is going to end up. He appointed that before the foundation of the world. And his overarching providence is going to make sure that he reaches his goal. So where is history headed? Where is God guiding history? Numbers 14 verse 21 tells us where God is guiding history. Numbers 14 21 says, Indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So that is where God is taking history. That is his end goal, and God is committed to arranging and disposing of all the events of history and even our lives to make sure that we arrive at his goal. 
Now we saw in Genesis chapter 6 that mankind had gotten so evil and headed in such a wrong direction that God had to start over. So God had to destroy the entire human race, and this is the days of Noah, the entire human race except for Noah and his family, starting over. Why? So he can now head in the right direction so that one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Then we got to Genesis chapter 11. We found out that mankind is not filling the earth with the glory of the Lord, but rather they're all in one place, building the Tower of Babel. And they're not glorifying God, they're glorifying man. So again, God has to intervene. He confuses their languages, divides the peoples into different ethnicities, and spreads them across the entire globe. Why? So he could again have history headed the right direction so that one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Well, then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and once again we see God starting over. In Genesis chapter 12, God starts with one, name, one man by the name of Abram. He changes Abram's name to Abraham and promises that he'll make him a great nation with the purpose of that great nation impacting the nations of the world. Why? So that one day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, the nation that Abraham gave birth to is the nation of Israel. Abraham's grandson, his name is Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when we got to the end of the book of Genesis, we find out that there's a famine that has hit the land. In fact, hit that whole region for seven years. And God sovereignly, providentially arranged for one of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph, to come to a position of second most powerful man in Egypt during the time of this famine so that Israel could go to Egypt and have favor and be able to have provision for that famine. What, is, what do the Israelites do is they stay in Egypt after that. And there arose a pharaoh down the road who did not know Joseph, and he put these Israelites into slavery. He saw this as an opportunity to get some free labor. And for 430 years, now we have the Israelites enslaved in Egypt. And so what happens now is that God hears their cry for deliverance, and God sends a deliverer. His name is Moses. So Moses comes, and he's going to lead now the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt to the, the promised land. And that's where we're going to pick it up today because we find out that God actually has a curious way of leading his people to the promised land. There are shorter ways to get from Egypt to Palestine than going through the Sinai Desert. And God is going to lead them actually 200 miles out of the way. He's going to lead them in a way that, if you, I mean, that's bad enough. If you're driving a car going 200 miles out of your way, it's bad enough, but they're walking. And it's hot and it's dry. It's a desert and there's, and there's no shade and scarcely any water. So they are, their patience is being greatly tested at this point. Now you can think, now God, you could have given them the law some other place beside Mount Sinai. I mean, why not give them the law someplace along the way 
to Palestine on the way to the promised land? Why not give them the law in Kadesh Barnea or Hebron or alongside uh, the River Jordan? But God doesn't do it that way. God has a whole different itinerary in mind for them. And let me interject at this point, there is an important application for us as well. God does not lead us in the ways that we think sometimes, does he? We have this idea of I'm here and I want to get there and here is the route. And for some reason, God's not taking me on that route. God is taking me in a very curious route to get to my destination. I think we find ourselves questioning God often about his itinerary for our lives. And I think we tend to think that I've got a better idea how to get from A to B than he does. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was playing basketball. Uh, The year before that, I had met Scotty Robertson, who was the head coach of the basketball team at Louisiana Tech. He told me that he wanted me to come play for Tech. But then he got hired in the NBA as the NBA expanded with a new team in New Orleans called the New Orleans Jazz. And he was their new head coach. Now, his assistant at Louisiana Tech told me, he also told me he wanted me to come and play basketball there. Well, my senior year, before the season starts, I break my ankle. Now, at that time, if you'd asked me, were you a Christian? If you'd asked me at that time, I would have said, of course I'm a Christian. I mean, I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. But I, I, never, I never intended any time in that part of my life to follow Jesus. I had my plan for my life. What I wanted was a ticket to heaven, and I wanted his help every once in a while, kind of like a cosmic bellhop. I could pull you know, a, a rope, and he could help me. But I'm the captain of my ship, and I know where I want to go. So as I look back from my vantage point now, I don't believe I was truly born again at that point. And so I, I was totally distressed because I broke my ankle and I had this whole plan for my life that is now being interrupted. And one night I got into my car and I drove off into the dark at night and I just started crying out to God. Why did he allow this to happen? What is going on with my life? Well, afterwards, I did have another conversation with the coach over at Louisiana Tech, and he said, if you can, you can go ahead and show me you come back from that ankle injury, I'll still give you a scholarship. So I went out to the track, and I'm working out on the track, and as I'm working out, a friend of mine is throwing the javelin. And so we're talking, and as he's throwing the javelin, I'm just throwing it back to him. He throw it, and I throw it back to him. I didn't realize I was throwing it as far as he was throwing it. As I was throwing it back to him, the track coach came over to me and said, you're on the track team. To make a long story short, I ended up on a track scholarship at Louisiana Tech, not a ba- Louisiana Tech, not a basketball scholarship. And you think, well, that's not a big detour, but really it was a big detour because God had a plan. The plan was there are two young men on that track team. They're probably the two godliest young men at Louisiana Tech, and God put me on their hearts, and they were praying for me, and they were loving me, and they were talking to me about Christ But more than that, even, I got to see what following Christ looked like. I'd never seen it before. Not really. I saw what church going looked like, but I never saw what following Christ really looked like on a day-to-day basis until I met these two men. And so it greatly impacted me, and I never recovered from from coming to Christ uh, during those days and being discipled by those two guys. And so God is a very mysterious guy. He leads us into times of wilderness, times of detour, 
but always with a purpose. But wilderness times are difficult. God seems to be leading us oftentimes into wilderness experiences. And some of you are there right now. Some of you in our wilderness experience in your life. Some of you would say, I'm definitely in a detour because I'm trying to get from here to there and I'm way over here. Well, God leads us into a wilderness experience. It isn't because he doesn't love us. In fact, remember, he sent, he sent his own son into the wilderness for 40 days. So it's not because he doesn't have good in mind, because he does. There's something he wants us to get out of that time before we move on to the place that he's leading us. Well, this is what he says through Moses to the people of Israel after their 40-year detour in the wilderness, just before they cross into the promised land. Let's read this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 18. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through this to the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint in the wilderness. He fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know. That, now listen to this, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. Author uh, John Piper writes about this passage. He says this, there is the philosophy of our travel agent in a nutshell. These trips to the wilderness that he provides for his clients are not really detours. No more so, at least, than a trip to the doctor for a smallpox, vac smallpox vaccination is a detour on the way to a healthy adulthood. God led them in the wilderness, it says, to humble them and to test them and to do good to them in the end. Now, the question is, okay, what good? What good can come out of wilderness wanderings? Well, the good that God intended to come out of their wilderness wanderings and ours is that we would become intensely, deeply, and lastingly conscious of our total dependence on God for everything. 24 years ago, when I was 41, I ended up in the hospital with exhaustion, adrenaline fatigue, burnout, and breakdown. And after a brief time in the hospital, I got in my car and I drove to the woods. I went to Mineral Wells State Park, primitive camping area, and I went and sat on a rock. 
I got on that rock and I said, Lord, I'm on this rock. And if I don't, I don't, I'm not leaving this rock until I hear from you. Because I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're doing. And I sat on that rock for three hours. And then the Lord spoke to me. It was an audible voice, but he spoke in my heart. And it was clear as a bell to me. He gave me one sentence. A sentence that changed my life, changed my ministry, changed how I live. And here's what he said. He said, I'm not interested in people knowing how strong you are for me. I want people to know how strong I am for you. And then I boo-hooed. But I've never recovered from that word from the Lord. See, the good that God aimed to do in my wilderness experiences was that I would become intensely, deeply, lastingly conscious of my total dependence on him. The wilderness is never easy. It's never easy. But it's for our good. It's for our training. We are being trained in the wilderness times. Let me summarize for you the history of Israel from when they left Egypt, the Exodus, till they cross over to the promised land. It's important that we kind of see this brief history. It goes like this. So the journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they're given the Ten Commandments and the law beyond the Ten Commandments, takes about three months. They leave Egypt in Exodus chapter 14. They arrive in Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. So Exodus chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18 takes about three months, and that's the first leg of their wilderness journey. Then for almost two years, they are at Sinai. They're at Sinai getting the law of God. They're also given instructions on building the tabernacle, kind of their mobile temple, the tent of meeting, and it's constructed during that two-year period of time. That two-year period of time takes us from Exodus chapter 19 all the way through the book, rest of the book of Exodus, then through the book of Leviticus, and then all the way through Numbers chapters 1 through 10. And that's about two years, a period of time. Now, at Numbers, when we get to Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, the people are going to set out from Mount Sinai to the promised land. In verse 11, they arrive in Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran to the south of Canaan. And at that point, before they go into the promised land, they're right under the edge of it. They will send 12 spies out to spy out the land before they go in to take it. So let's read this account now, starting in Numbers 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the, going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So each of the 12 tribes, one man, 12 spies. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. Verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they're going to give their report. Let's pick it up in verse 27. 
Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and certainly does, it does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought some samples back. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea, by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, he's Caleb, one of the 12. So we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we shall surely overcome it. Full of faith, full of courage. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him 10 of them, said, we're not able to go up against the people for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. And why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So after 40 days, the spies return. Caleb and Joshua hand in basically this report. Let us go in at once and occupy it for we'll be able to overcome it. They're full of faith, full of courage. They believe God's going to help them win the battle. Let's go. But the other 10 spies opposed this decision in what I believe is an amazing argument. It's amazing because these are the same people who walked through the parting of the Red Sea. These are the same people who spent two and a half years in the desert watching God provide supernaturally for them water, food. And these people who saw all that for two and a half years say we're not able to go up against this people because they're stronger than we are. Now, my guess at this point is, and I would love to have just been there at this point to see it, but I believe Caleb and Joshua probably looked at each other like, what? And then looked at Moses and then looked at the other 10 like, what does it matter how strong they are? What does it matter? We're talking about God helping us. What are you thinking? But in Numbers 14, the people prove that two and a half years in the wilderness has not been long enough to teach them to trust God alone. And so they rebel against Moses and against God. And, and God at this point has pretty much, is pretty much fed up. Here's what he says. Numbers 14, verse 11 and 12. He says this to Moses. How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed among them. I'll strike them with the pestilence and dispossess them. So God 
and said, I'm done with them. I'm just going to kill them all. Well, Moses intercedes and he prays. And he argues to God that, wait a second, God, your name is at stake here. If you wipe them out, what are they going to say about you back in Egypt? You, can't, you, couldn't, you couldn't bring your people to the land of Canaan. So Moses goes into prayer and he argues with God on the basis of God's own character. He reminds God that, God, you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. God, you can't do this. God hears Moses and God relents. And here's what he says. Numbers 14, verse 20. I have pardoned them according to your word. He's talking to Moses. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times. And have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow. He's telling them, give them a new direction now. You're not going to the promised land. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the Red Sea. So the class flunked their final exam. Their final exam of wilderness training, and they're not allowed to graduate into the promised land, and they're all sent back to school in the wilderness. If two and a half years of human helplessness and divine wonders doesn't put trust in the hearts of Israel, then God says, let's try 40, 40 years. And so that's why Israel wanders the wilderness for 40 years. They wander the wilderness for 40 years. So all those unbelieving, that unbelieving generation will have time to die off. And that is covered in Numbers chapter 14 to the end of the book of Numbers, that wilderness wandering before entering the promised land. Now, it's not hard to see the lessons that God wants to teach us, I think, from this wilderness experience of his people Israel. God says that even though they saw his glory, saw the signs that he did in Egypt, saw the signs that he did in in the wilderness, they still put him to test time and time and time again, complaining and grumbling. Now, the implication, implication is clear. God's purpose in the exodus in the wilderness was to do this. He says it's to humble his people, show them his wonders. Why? So they would learn to put their trust in him. That's the whole point of wilderness experiences, that we would go through that time trusting God. That's how we graduate from that school. We trust him. Some of us keep getting in the same wilderness, and we keep flunking the exam. We don't pass exam unless we come to a place of trusting God. Author John Piper goes on to say this. I I think it's real important. He says, in the wilderness, we are stripped of all the devices by which we give ourselves the impression of self-sufficiency. The test then is whether we will be thankful for God's merciful provision and learn to rest in his power. And the good that comes to us 
is a solid assurance that every looming giant will fall before the grasshoppers of God as you march straight for the promised land on the road of obedience. Some of you have heard the call of God on your life to do something that's going to take faith and courage. And you looked at the giants, you looked at the challenges, and you decided not to do it. I mean, you know he called you to it. You know he did, but you were afraid, and you didn't do it. Following the call of God always takes faith and courage, always. Now, my favorite part of this whole story is what happens 45 years later. In Joshua chapter 14, it's 45 years later, and Caleb is still alive. He's 85. And I just love what happens in this passage. I just have to read it, starting in verse 7. Caleb is speaking before the Israelites. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord, my God, fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, fully. Now behold, the Lord has has let me live, just as he spoke, these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked into the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. I'll drive them out as the Lord has spoken. I tell you what, I love this. I love this 85-year-old man standing before this crowd and saying, basically, you know, I'm ready to take it. I mean, he's saying, just when I was 40, I'm at 85. Don't you want to be at 85 to have have even a greater faith than you had at 40? So many people at 40 are full of faith, and by the time they're 85, they're just in cruise control, trying to keep as comfortable as possible. I want to be 85 and, and have, that, have that conviction. Nothing's changed. Why? Why has nothing changed? Because God is still God. That's why nothing's changed. Some of you have heard specifically from God, and you know something you were created. There's something you were created for, something you're called to do, and you know it. You know what it is. And right now, it's con- you're conscious about it, and you, had, you didn't do it. And I believe God is giving you a chance to say yes again today. I believe God's given you a chance to say yes today. And some of you, it's, it's real recent. You know what the call is, and you realize there's challenges, but you're ready to say yes today. But it's going to take faith and courage. It's going to take faith and courage to answer the call. It's going to take faith and courage to answer the recall. But I believe that God wants to do something special right now as we close. I believe those of you that have just come up for prayer that have said, I just need faith and courage to do what I believe God's calling me to do. I believe during our ministry time, God is going to, by his spirit, enable you. I think faith and courage are going to rise up in a lot of you to go in and take the land that God's called you to take, whatever it is. 
So, Hosea, come on up here. And I'll stand for a moment. And I'm going to pray. And then just during this time, I believe I'm going to... Some of you, this is going to be a real important milestone in your life as you say yes to the Lord, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the giants. Father, you, you know what every calling is on every life here. Lord, I pray that you'd make, make it clear to those, Lord, who know their calling and yet are, are hesitant or, or maybe beyond hesitance. Maybe they just said no in the past, but Lord, would you, would you recall? Would you send a recall today? Would you give another opportunity? Regardless whether we're 20, 40, or 85, Lord, would you give a chance for a recall? And Lord, for those that know you're calling them to something and know the challenges today, Lord, we're asking you, Lord, during this time, or we're coming, we're coming in prayer asking that we would be able to have the faith and courage to trust you to move forward in the call. So if that's you and you're saying, I just need, I just need to be strengthened today to do what God's calling me to do, you just slip out of your seat during this closing time. We're going to pray for you. So come on up here. You can stand, you can kneel, but slip out and come on up. I love you, Lord. For oh, your mercy never failed me in all my days. I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God In all my life you have been faithful In all my life you have been so, so good Every breath that I take I will see of the goodness of God Some of you come down and just begin to lay hands on them Just put your hand on the shoulder just begin to pray the Holy Spirit to come upon them for faith and courage to rise up in them. Just come. We need lots of people up here, guys. Slip out and come on. Don't let anybody be up here by themselves alone. Come put a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. We're going to continue with this song as you pray for them. We need some more people to come down and pray. Just keep coming, please. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire, darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. In all my life you have been faithful Yes, you have, Lord In all my life you have been so, so good In every breath that I am made Oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God 
Father, we just ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Anoint, fill, empower. Let faith and courage rise up, Lord, in our hearts today. Faith and courage to take that land, whatever that is, whatever that calling, Lord, to move forward, regardless of the giants, regardless of the fortified cities, regardless of the challenges, Lord, that we move forward by faith in you, that we trust you. We're resting in your power, not our own. We're resting in your, your wisdom, not our ingenuity. And so we ask you, O oh Lord, would you now cause us to be able to move forward and take whatever land it is that you're calling us, whatever challenge to overcome. Lord, take us and use us for your glory and honor. And we pray, Lord, you speed up the day that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like water fills the sea. And use us to be a big part of that, we pray in Jesus' mighty name.